Please turn to John's Gospel, chapter 14. Our Bible study tonight will be taken from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. We'll pick out some thoughts and threads here, which have really two purposes tonight. The first is this. What is the natural response, the right response, the reasonable response to Christ's love for his people? How should we respond? Our title tonight is Love for Christ. If we are in the faith, if we love the Lord Jesus, then very naturally, obviously, we will want to love him. And we want to show it in our life. Well, that's the first subject tonight. Love for Christ, our natural response. But there's something else here. What are the distinguishing marks, the evidences and the blessings of being a believer? I shall consider a number that are here in this second half of chapter 14 of John's Gospel. There's some really wonderful evidences. I hope each time you hear them, I won't tell you how many there are, that you will see those are true of your life if you are indeed in Christ. And so that's our purpose tonight. John 14, our text is a very familiar one. Verse 15, if, if ye love me, keep my commandments. The love of Christ. Where could you begin with a subject like that? The depth, the breadth, the height. You can't measure the love of Christ. The cost, infinite cost, times all the people that Christ went to Calvary to save. Your sin, my sin, if we love the Lord. It's vast. And so the love of Christ must be even vaster. Just think of the suffering, the endurance, the love of Christ for his people. If ye love me, keep my commandments. There is an if at the beginning. It's not taken presumptuously that everybody within the Lord's disciples is a believer. And of course we know one who was there and he was possessed of a devil, it says. He was the one that would betray Christ. Judas, he was not one who loved Christ and he showed by his own works that he didn't keep the commandments. Well, when we think of the love of Christ, the verse that springs to my mind at least is 2 Corinthians 5.14. This is a lovely verse, it's helpful. For the love of Christ constrains us that that which live, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. 2 Corinthians 5.14 The word that jumps out at me there is constrains. The love of Christ is like a weight. It's like a compelling force all the way through the life of the believer, almost a pressure, a good pressure, is put upon us and it makes us desire to respond in love, a constraint. You think of love in marriage, if it's a good marriage, a marriage, as they say, that's got love within it, there is a compulsion, 
there's a drawing, there's a desire one for the other. And so it's the same with Christ. For the love of Christ constrains us. It makes us desire him, makes us want to love him. And so the first point then from this verse is, naturally, we will want to love Christ because he loves us. But the second is, what are the distinguishing marks? If ye love me, then what follows? What comes later? Well, obedience. Obedience to what? To everything that the Lord says. There's going to be three verses here. Just pick them out. They are almost identical. Verse 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. It's a sign if we obey God, that we are in Christ. Now let's put a warning here. None of us can earn salvation. We can't add to it. Not 1% or 0.1. But those who are in Christ that do love him, they will desire to demonstrate their love by their obedience. Sometimes we say, how do we know that somebody is in the faith because by their fruits shall ye know them. Well, one of the fruits is obedience. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here. If ye love me, keep my commandments. There's repetition three times in a chapter. It mentions virtually the same words. In verse 21, it's he that hath my commandments and keepeth them. He it is that loveth me. And then down in verse 23, it's subtly different. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Not just my commandments, all the things that I've ever said. And it says later, my sayings, commandments, words, sayings. Everything that the Lord commanded, everything he taught, everything he said is to be obeyed. Now that's hardly the case today, is it? Where whole pages of the Bible, whole books, are thrown to one side. The sign that somebody truly is converted is that they will obey in everything. And they will have a desire to obey in everything. We don't always manage that, of course, but that is our desire. Well, I want to emphasize the repetition. Why three times? Don't we get this the first time? Repetition in the Bible comes quite often. You can almost do a series on this. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Why? Because we don't. We don't rejoice. Why does it say, if ye love me, keep my commandments because we don't because we don't see it as being important we've almost taken in that heresy the heresy that's called by the theologians antinomianism it doesn't matter i'm now in grace grace is more powerful than the law and therefore i'm no longer under the obligations of the law i can live as i please now that's a terrible heresy this verse alone, 
if ye love me, you will want, desire, aim, do everything within your powers to keep my commandments. Well, it's a demonstration, isn't it? How do we know that we're in the faith? Because we show it. We show it through our conduct, through our obedience to everything that the Lord has said. Why do some people struggle with assurance? Not all, but very often the cases where people struggle to know, am I a Christian? Am I not? I'm having doubts. I'm having difficulties. Well, very often, but not always, there's been some sin, some omission in their life. They've stopped reading the word of God. They've stopped obeying the principles of God's word and therefore faith runs low. And so obedience will be a spur to assurance. You see really here there are three categories of people. We usually say two. There are those who are recipients of what we can call common grace the general kindness and grace and mercy of God. That's something that everybody receives. People can receive the word of God. They can receive the gospel. They can receive his truth, his ways, but yet they may not believe. The second category are those who have particular grace, sovereign grace, particular redemption, as we call it. That's not everybody that's those that Christ died for. But the implication of this chapter is there is a third category. Those who seek to obey. Those who have such a desire to please their Saviour. They will know particular blessings, particular marks, particular evidences within their life, particular assurance, comforts, and we shall unfold these in this chapter. That's what we desire. We want to be a Christian who knows they're a Christian and knows the blessing and the comforts and the helps of the Lord all the way through our life to eternity. Well, let's look at the context here in this chapter before we begin to apply it. The Lord Jesus is leaving them. This is part of that group of four chapters John 13, 14, 15, 16, before the high priestly prayer, his words are poignant, they're significant. He's telling them the things they really need to know before he leaves. Is it not a surprise that he mentions three times in this chapter the need for Christian life to go hand in hand with the fruit and the evidence of conversion through the lives that we live? No, it's not. Because this is what he's saying as a parting gesture. You're going to have the Holy Spirit given to you. The Spirit will help you to walk in the fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit will comfort you and remind you of God's word so you know how you ought to live. The Spirit will lead you into all truth. All the things that we need to obey God's word will be given to us. We just need to apply them and to use them. Well, the disciples, how are they reacting? Four chapters in a row. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you. 
the penny still hasn't dropped. I don't know whether they thought it was in a few years' time, or whether they thought there would be some means to avoid it, but they're going to cry and lament and weep. It tells us so here. The fact that he's going to suffer and die and leave them, it's going to be all over. The three years of feeling important, of feeling in the inner circle, it's going to be over. We'll be distraught, the whole world will cave in around us. Maybe that's what they thought. And so he says to them, If ye love me, you won't lament. You won't go to pieces. You will keep my commandments. Well, obedience to what? No one else in the Bible, do you know, says my commandments. Moses never said that. He never said these are my commandments. Christ did. Because all the law was given by him. Keep my commandments. How many? Well, not nine. Don't leave out the Lord's Day. Not eight. All of them. All of them were given. Yes, there were some ceremonial aspects of God's law which fell away, which were part of the national covenant with Israel, but all of the moral law is still to be obeyed. That's what he's saying, and he emphasizes it again and again. All of the Sermon on the Mount, follow it. Follow my words. Keep all that teaching. The word keep there means a little bit more than it sounds. Guard, watch over, stand above my commandments. Make sure you know what they are. Make sure they're in your memory, in your heart, and keep them. This is what true believers will do. Well, I want to go through a number of the evidences. This is both the blessings and the marks of those who are in Christ. If ye love me, he's talking to 11 of the 12 disciples. If you love me, this is what you will do. And these are the marks and the evidences that you are in Christ. So the first one, go down to verse 21. And I put this one first deliberately. <clears throat> he that has my commandments. Well, you say, doesn't the whole world have the commandments? Well, they do in a sense. They're there. You can look them up, but they're not in the heart. They're not in the mind. He that has them, every true child of God, will have God's law not just written on their heart and in their consciences, but it will be there through choice. Will want to store it up. He that has stored up my truth and my commandments. So all the headings tonight, they are verbs. Possessing is the first one. There is a possessing with a believer. We possess within the heart God's law. That's the very first thing. It's how we came to Christ. We realised we were sinners. It was the schoolmaster that led us and showed us our need. He that has. There's a possessing there. 
right within the heart. That's the beginning of the Christian life. I know I can't keep God's laws. I know I'm a sinner. I have God's laws in my heart and I want them there <coughs> because I know they're right and good and wholesome. Oh, how I love thy law. Well, that's the beginning. For some, that's before conversion. That's when we feel convicted and awakened. But the law of God is in the heart. And then there will be the second point, the possessing. And it's there in verse 15, 21 and 23. There is the keeping, the keeping or the obeying. What is a believer? A believer is not a good person. A believer is somebody that desires to keep God's laws. We want to walk in his ways. We want to keep his words. We want to trust him in everything. In the trials of life, and there was no greater trial for the disciples than the one that would happen in hours and days after these words were said, then they shouldn't go to pieces. They would keep my words a possessing and an obeying, keeping in every aspect of life. You know, I say this often. When's the hardest time? When no one else is there. When we're alone. Do you keep God's word then? Is there an obedience when only the cookies on your computer can see? Is there an obedience when your wife's away or you're traveling, staying in a hotel, wherever it may be? Do you keep God's word, a possessing and an obeying? Well, thirdly, and we say a little bit more about this, in verse 23, it speaks here and says, if a man love me, again, it's conditional. Not everybody does, not everybody will. If a man love me, he will keep my words and, and the Father, my Father. That intimate relationship between Father and Son. My Father will love him. This is how we know that we're in the faith. Because we know the love of the Son and the Father, my Father will love him, and we, it's a Trinitarian verse, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will come unto him, that child of God, will take up our residence within that heart and that life. We will make our abode with him. God in us, the hope of glory, God within us, the three persons of the Trinity, taking up residence. God is living within me. If I'm a Christian, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's profound. That's to be in Christ and Christ in us, an abiding. Well, we had a conference that we did online four years ago, and the subject was sanctification. We spoke much in that conference. Initially, it was for African pastors, and they asked us about the subject of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. Is sanctification just something mentioned in the New Testament? Is the work of the Holy Spirit something really only known in the New Testament? They were shocked. 
when we explain to them that actually the Holy Spirit's throughout the whole scripture. You think of this, Genesis 1-2. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation. Genesis 2-7. The giving of life, the breathing, the breath of life. That comes from the Holy Spirit. It does in physical life and it does in spiritual life. Breath is the same word as spirit, ruach, in the Hebrew. The spirit creates, the spirit gives life. And Genesis 6, 3, the spirit strives. My spirit shall not always strive. With man, it's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction of sin. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to love Christ and to obey him. We can't do it on our own. How can I obey God's law? I have a weak heart. I have the desires of the flesh, but with the Spirit dwelling within me, showing me an ugliness to sin, showing me the loveliness of Christ. Then I can obey Christ. I can follow him. And then the signs will follow and I'll have the comforts and the assurance that I am in Christ and Christ is abiding with me, a possessing and an obeying and an abiding. But then there is here in verse 17 a knowing. This is related to the Holy Spirit, so I put it after the mention of the abiding of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. He's just mentioned the Comforter will come. And he says, here's the name of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. That's a wonderful expression, truth. How do we know truth? We speak about somebody being spirit-taught. A believer you've never met before from the other side of the world. They've never been to a church, but they've had the Word of God and the Holy Spirit has led them into the same truth that you believe and I believe. We've had that experience again and again, I'm sure. Even the spirit of truth. There is a knowing. If you're in Christ, layer upon layer of knowledge and experience comes. And look what it says. Whom the world cannot receive. The world won't be taught by the spirit, but we will. The world won't have the Spirit because it seeth him not. doesn't recognize the Holy Spirit. Neither knows him, but we do. There's a knowing. The Spirit prompts us. Do you have that experience sometime? I should do this today. I've never thought of that person until today. And the Holy Spirit's laid upon your heart to go and visit somebody, to phone somebody, to do something. You've not thought of them or remembered them for three months. And suddenly, the spirit of truth moves within the heart. A scripture comes to mind. You've not had a sermon on it. You've not read it in your devotion for five years. And the mind suddenly starts to remember what God has said. Thy spirit, the spirit of truth. There is a knowing. It said elsewhere in John's Gospel, when the Spirit comes, it will lead us, guide us into all truth. It says, for he dwelleth with you, verse 17, and shall be in you. 
We don't speak enough of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit involved in creation, giving life, in conviction, in giving comfort, in giving promptings. Oh, there's so much the Holy Spirit does. And it's all the way through the Old Testament. This is before Pentecost. Some churches teach that the Holy Spirit was only given after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's there throughout. David knew the Holy Spirit in his life and all the others that we read of too. Fifthly, there is here in verse 20 an identifying, possessing, obeying, an abiding, a knowing, and here we have an identifying. This is a lovely verse. At that day, when the Lord will no more be seen, verse 19, and then he'll be seen again for a time in his resurrected form, ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also, and at that day ye shall know that I am in the Father. They're one. And ye in me, we're one with Christ. And I in you, we're one. There's like a triangle. The Father in the Son, the Son in the Father. We're in Christ and therefore we are united with the Father. What's our identity tonight? Much is spoken about identity. You see pastors, they put on their profile... Such and such a team is their identity that they support. Such and such a movie. Such and such a singer. I'm in Christ. That's our identity tonight. That's all that matters. Are you in or are you out? I am in Christ. Christ is in me. I am a Christian. In Christ. Literally the letters are almost the same. I in Christ. A Christian. That's what I am. That's what I wish to be known by. An identifying. That's an evidence. And then sixthly, there is a responding. Verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. You see, when we love Christ, there is going to be an ever unfolding revelation, manifestation, revealing of truth, of God's love through Christ, of his presence, of his help, of his comfort. It's going to go on and on. It's deeper and deeper. There's this responding we respond to Christ in obedience. And because we respond to Christ in obedience, more blessing comes. More consolation. More comfort. I will love him, he says. He that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. There's the love at salvation, conversion, but there's an ongoing love, a deepening love, and will manifest myself to him. It was said by one of the Puritans, Flavel, 
if Christ finished his work on the cross, which he did, then he'll finish his work in you and me, which he's only just begun. So much more cleansing, so much more deepening, so much more experiences to learn so that we lay hold on Christ more quickly, more firmly. Well, then there's a remembering in verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name in a particular way, in a special outpouring when he comes at Pentecost, he shall teach you all things, and here's the word, and bring all things to your remembrance. They'll be before kings. They'll be before governors. What will they say? The Lord will bring it to their memory. What about you at work, witnessing? What about you when you're teaching a Sunday school class? The Lord will bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. I don't know where that came from. Suddenly a verse comes into the mind. When you're preaching, teaching, witnessing, speaking to a loved one. And he will bring all things to your remembrance. There will be a remembering. This isn't natural. This is supernatural. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you all things and then bring things to your remembrance. Just like that. A verse from the Psalms. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? In the middle of the night, a bereaved person who feels lonely and that scripture comes in just at the right time. What an evidence that is that we're a child of God. We're one of his. It's one of the blessings. It's one of the comforts. Do you know these things? Is there anybody listening tonight? You are a child of God because these evidences are true in your life. Well, the eighth one, here in verse 28. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away. Ah, they've heard it, but it's not sunk in. So he says it again. I go away, but I come again unto you. If ye loved me, he keeps on saying it, if, 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 because there's one in the room that doesn't. If ye love me, well, there will be a rejoicing. The distinguishing mark of a believer, one of them, will be that we are joyful. That verse has struck my heart this week. Rejoice in the Lord. What's our source of joy? Where do we get joy from? Joy at the football team? Ah, no, rejoice in the Lord always. That doesn't leave much time for deep, lasting, spiritual joy to come from anywhere else. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Well, what does it say here? It says, if ye love me, ye would rejoice, you'd be joyful. There should be more joy in our lives, more joy in Christ, more joy in the Lord. Why? Well, he explains it. Because I said, 
Joy that Christ is going. Isn't this a contradiction? No, it's not. Because he's finished his work. Because he's doing the will of the Father. Because he's going to Calvary and their salvation depends on it. He goes unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. That's the source of our joy. Our rejoicing is because Christ has finished his work. And he's done everything that the Father asked him to do. And he's going to Calvary. And he's going to rise again and ascend to the Father who is greater than he is. A ninth one. We have two more. <coughs> Verse 29. And now... I have told you before it came to pass. Why did he tell them? Wouldn't that put fear and dread into them? No, so that when it happened, they would say, he told us we should have believed him. Now I told you before it came to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Why are we just like the disciples? The Lord tells us so many things. But we don't believe him. We don't trust him. We don't exercise the faith that we should do. He told us that, the, that we would live in a world of spiritual darkness, of conflict. There would be battles. There would be lies poured into our ears throughout the day. Why are we surprised? Because the Lord told us it would be so. And he tells them here, before it happens... So that when it happens, you might believe and your faith would be strengthened. There's a rejoicing and there's a believing. But I want to finish a tenth and final evidence and blessing. If we are in Christ tonight, here's this little phrase. He's just about to go to Calvary. Just see the significance of this. It's my final point and it's a deep and delightful one. He's about to get up. I don't know whether there's a gap between 14 and 15. I rather think there might be. Maybe these chapters are not in the <coughs> chronological order in which they were spoken. But he says this. Arise. Let us go hence. Just think of what that means. He doesn't want to sit and talk anymore. He's done with talking. He's done with teaching. He's done with warning. There's no hesitation. He wants to go boldly forward, arise. There's a determination to go. He must act. He can't speak anymore. He's got to get on with Calvary, if we can say it reverently. He's setting us an example. I've got to get to work. I've got to Turn words into action. Arise, let us go hence. This is a word for us tonight. We've had these evidences, these blessings, these marks that should assure us. I hope they do. hope they give us confidence in our faith in Christ. But we can't just sit. We can't wait. Don't take that word literally in one of the parables, occupy, till I come. It doesn't mean that, it means invest. Use what God has given you as well as you can in the time that you have. Arise, let us go forward. He can't rest. There's a restlessness in Christ to go to Calvary. 
for you and for me. He's got to move forward. He's got to move on. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And Christ is our example. He sees the cross before him. He has joy in his heart. Again, our example. He sees the cross. He knows exactly the suffering. He knows how the pain is going to be poured into his soul. The spiritual pain. And he says, arise, let us go forward. He's saying to his disciples, I'm going to build my church. We're going to go forward now together. Arise, let us go. You'll have the Holy Spirit in deeper measure than you've ever known him before. You'll have a comforter. You'll have all these evidences. You will know my help now. If you love me, keep my commandments. It won't get you to heaven. No, Christ is the only one that can keep the commandments, that can earn salvation. But if you love me, the evidence of it, the sure sign, the assurance giving evidence will be that you will keep and watch and guard over your own heart and your commandments, Christ's commandments, will be the way that you desire to show love for Christ. Do we love him tonight? Let's show our love by obeying him and keeping his corrupt commandments. Arise, let us go hence into life, into tomorrow, knowing his help and desiring to follow him in the details of life and in the darkness of life and in the times of life where we know not what to do, let us obey and trust.